Welcome to The New Exchange, a podcast series that explores how everyone has a story to tell. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and this is a special bonus episode that's also downright hilarious. That's because my guest, Christina Sheng, is simply just that, hilarious while also being an incredibly talented human being. Christina is an Asian-American director that's been making a name for herself over unbelievable music videos, like PS5 by Salam, Life of the Party by Sophia Mills, and Write a List of Things to Look Forward to by Courtney Barnett. Her style does a beautiful job of straddling the line between surrealism and constantly hitting close to home on a personal level, with each frame being a moment that's unraveling a larger story overall. The way I came across her work was through her short film, This Old Dog, which I highly recommend that you check out. I watched that film during that time where we were all locked in our homes, and the feeling that it left me was indescribable. Well, I say that, and yet within this episode, I do attempt to describe that feeling with Christina, along with breaking down her other works. We also delve into what makes filmmaking so special and the personal threads that get woven into a body of work. After you hear today's episode, please go down a rabbit hole of Christina's works. I'll include some links within the description of this episode. Trust me when I say it'll make your day. Before we get into it, be sure to subscribe on the app you're listening to this on and also rate and leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings help us independent creatives in a big way, so if you like what you hear, do let me know about it. This is The New Exchange with Christina Sheng. Enjoy. Hand on heart, I have to say, this is an episode I've been looking forward to for a long time. Yeah, truly. Oh, you made a funny face. I like that. Okay. (laughs) I mean... That's so sweet, first of all. I mean, the way that you answer, I mean, the way that you ask questions and everything, just like, I've been looking forward to this too. I'm excited to get into it. It gets to know you. Oh, sweet. Well, okay. You just gave, I already had in mind to ask you some personal questions, but now I feel like I have like the rite of passage to do it. So I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> My therapist will thank you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll send the invoice later or Okay, I'm making the, the note now. <laughs> Ask for the invoice later. Um, <laughs> so let, let's go back to the start. Because um, I, I love movies. I feel like movies have this really amazing ability of like helping us learn so much about ourselves. Like, What role do you feel like movies played for you as a kid when you were growing up? Oh, man. I mean, honestly, I kind of have like a unconventional story in the sense that uh, growing up, I moved around a lot, and because of that, it was like kind of hard for me to really like learn how to socialize with people, especially because I grew up basically uh, first in New Jersey, and then when I was twelve, moved to Alabama, which was a huge culture adjustment. And yeah, I don't know. I guess the thing that I turned to was movies. Like it, it, like that. There's this quote where it's like, "Oh, everything I learned is from the films," and like that is true. Like it's literally how I learned how to ask people out it was how i learned how to get rid of my fears of anxiety like all this stuff so yeah it's really really important to me i had a similar upbringing we moved around quite a bit too like across um the us and i we also lived in the uk for a bit and my parents were wor- i mean this is probably such a 90s thing to say but my parents worked so much that in a lot of ways like tv and movies kind of raised me totally I you are speaking words to my heart yeah 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 it's so crazy and it's like I almost feel like sometimes when I would be in like awkward situations as like an adult I would like think back to a scene of a movie and be like how did those adults act okay I guess that's what normal people do I like totally relate to that I think that like it's I mean not to do to like our parents fault like it's totally understandable like work and you know the American dream and all these things right but I think it's interesting, like growing up as like POC in like a very white dominated media too. And like looking at those dynamics between their parents on those like white TV shows and being like, that's weird. Like my parents definitely don't act like that with me, you know, like, oh yeah, (laughs) it's super interesting. Oh, I forget the comedian and I bet I'll remember like at the end, but there was a comedian who was talking about what it's like growing up in like an immigrant household. And then going to like a white house, like house, like just a general middle class white house. And he was saying how something he noticed is that the lights were on throughout the whole like duration of like his visit at his friend's house. And then he realized that his parents were telling them that the lights were broken at certain points of the day. So they wouldn't keep the lights on too long to make the bill go up. (laughs) And 
I had so that too. Funny. Like my parents did that to me. That's actually really fucking funny. <laughs> It's like he was like, why do these people have the lights on the whole time? Are they not afraid of it gonna break? It's like, no, that, that's not how that works. I think one of one of those like moments for me too is like in TV shows, characters always have their shoes like in the house on the bed. Yes. And like, if that fucking ever happened at my Asian ass household, I would get my ass <laughs> so hard, like for real, like that's crazy, you know, on the damn bed. <laughs> You know what, it, it, this is one that just popped in my head, and it's so, I, like, I feel you're gonna relate to this hardcore too, but, like, breakfast commercials where at the end there's just, like, the cereal whatever surrounded by all this excess food, and it's like, who's eating all of that in, like, a morning breakfast? That's, like, I, 100%, 100%. Like, I'm just, like, I look around at, like, my table, and it definitely does not look like that. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> it doesn't not, look like that at all. That's not the, the the beautiful stack of pancakes and shit. I'm like, damn. Wait, so when you were younger, because of like how you found yourself loving movies, do you think over time you kind of became that friend with the camera? Is that kind of what ended up happening for you at school? Um, yeah, I would say that like I was kind of shy growing up, weirdly enough. And I think that as soon as I had a camera, I realized that people want to talk to you or like you could really do whatever you want to do in a way because it, it was a way it was like a force force shield so i like had my mom's camera and that's kind of like how it started i like went to school and like i was always interviewing people and like making silly youtube videos because like, i love like bo burnham and stuff like that that wow we are like in sync in a big way i grew up absurdly shy like i was the type of kid that you would like say hello to and i would just become like a fucking like statue and it wasn't until getting into photography i think it took until it was like 18 19 where i started opening up more because of right it. no i mean that's first of all like my condolences to having the shy awkward shit like i that shit is rough <laughs> but you found your art form through it which is really cool yeah exactly um do you remember the first time you were aware of like the structure of a tv show or movie because i think what's fascinating with talking to you about what you do is like and it's part of why I'm so curious about the start of everything is like, it's kind of interesting to watch something casually at a young age. And then there's another point where you realize visually a story has mechanics that helps it carry through. So you so eloquently articulated, my gosh. <laughs> that was off the rip in my head, I gotta say. I have like some questions right now, but the last bit came up in my head. That shit was mad eloquent. I'm, I'm like, I lost it. When did I become aware of the structure of things? You know, honestly, I have to give that credit to my the professor that changed my life. He's a big reason why like I think about stories the way that I do. He kind of handed me those glasses, if you will, of like structure and story structure and like how to like watch things. That was like his greatest gift to me, uh, really. So I think I wasn't really aware of it until I was like 16. Like I, I'd always like known what I liked, but I didn't really know why. And he was the one who would ask the questions or like really break stories down in a way where I could truly like actually see like how those things work. So, wow. Did, did he ever loan you movies or like recommend movies for you to watch? Yes. His name is Andy and he was always doing that. He was always giving people movies that he knew would change their life. He was just like, oh, my, oh my God. I remember when I was in college, I went to art school and um, it's funny. There's little, there's an overarching way. I, I, I sometimes have this opinion that art school is a waste of time, but then like when I say it out loud and I let the thoughts sit in my head, all these little memories come up where I realize that that's not necessarily true. And a big one is I had a professor that like loaned me um, the South Korean film Old Boy. Yeah. And she was just like, oh, I think you would like this. And I remember watching it. And while watching it, I had the thought like, hold on a second, a teacher gave this to me. <laughs> like, I could like... It really like shattered my mind that that even could happen in life, but I was grateful for it because what an incredible movie! Like, I mean, that freaking yeah, that movie's like so messed up, but also like masterful and like crazy and like the the whole. I mean, not no spoilers, but the cutting scene, you know, like oh yeah, just like yeah, it's it's an incredible film. I can't believe a teacher did that, but that's badass. Yeah, to yeah, exactly, and it's like I I reflect on that, and it's like you know what, obviously, like 
uh, American college tuition is the most ridiculous thing in the world, but an experience like that almost, just almost makes it worth it. I mean, I I say that now thinking about my student loans that are going to kick back in December, but forget that that's the case. I think that uh, it's, honestly, I, I share a very similar opinion. Like, I really was never a good student in school. In fact, like most of my teachers actually really didn't like me. And they weren't very encouraging to me. But I think it take everyone, it takes that one teacher that believes in you, that changes your life. The one teacher that's able to see all the attitude and the like, you know, all the bullshit, see through that and see you for you and help bring that artist and person out. That's who Andy was to me. So like if I had never met him, I would be a very different person. That's beautiful. Uh, I'm glad that you could call out back to that specific time and the fact that it's carried through. And, um, you know, the way... I think I mentioned it to you in the DMs when we were talking, like, ages ago, but the way I came aware of you and your work and why I wanted to talk to you today is because um, we share a mutual friend, the lovely Tim Toto. And, uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, 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 hi Tim, if you're listening. You might be listening, I think. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for shooting my first film in LA. Well, that was the thing, because how I came um, to know of you is... Um, he posted about it, um, working on the film, the film This Old Dog, and he like linked it on um, his Instagram stories, and I went to watch it. And dude, I remember watching it and thinking, just fuck. Like it was one of those instances where I had the phone up, kind of like as I was watching, like I um, casted it to my TV on my computer, and I had my phone up. And then within like the first like minute or so, I had I then had the phone down, which it feels so weird pointing that out. But I feel like in this like modern age of stuff, that's a signifier of like a story grabbing you and like keeping you transfixed on the screen. Um, Can you describe what the film's about to someone who's never seen it? First of all, that's really, really nice. That's like the modern, modern way of saying that you gave a film a standing ovation, putting the phone down. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I know. I appreciate that. That actually means the world to me, especially since that was like, I think, one of my first, if my first film out in LA, really. So like, I've definitely learned a lot since then. But uh, yeah, This Little Dog is a film about a son who becomes obsessed with reconnecting with his dad who he hasn't seen in like 10 years and his dad is a local chinese delivery food driver and uh the son kind of plots this thing to kind of like encounter his dad and then it's kind of like how all that unfolds basically yeah you know what i thought was so powerful in regards to the film i don't think this is necessarily spoiling anything because it's not about like the start of the resolution but it's more about the through line of it there's this obsession that the the son has that is obvious to us as viewers, but it's clear that in regards to how he's going about his day and how he's navigating the situation, that it's not obvious to him. And he's more or less compelled to just do these things and to like make the situation into something different. And it really spoke to me about like how emotionally we could be like drawn and driven by something, but be completely like uh, like invisible to the like the awareness of it and the way you capture that really shocked me because you you didn't utilize words really it was just really like so much within the actor's face and body movements you know wow man you're being so nice thank you <laughs> really, really nice. <laughs> you did it i mean yeah honestly um because i think more so like i learned this how i kind of got into film stuff was like I, I was always interested in acting first i like i really liked acting but I, I also knew myself, like, I never wanted to be an actor. I just, like, had a lot of respect for the craft. And something you learn, like, really quick in acting is, like, there's most times when you're going through something, there's no words that can sum up what that is. It's really just, like, it's all very subtle. And I think that's kind of, like, what that film was exercising for me. Because when I was going through that stuff with my dad, like, I God forbid, I wasn't telling people about that, you know? No, yeah. And I was going to bring up because um, when I was like prepared for the interview, I noticed that you um, had it pinned on Twitter that the film mirrors an experience that you had um, for years. I think on Twitter, you mentioned like it was like after years of someone like idolizing your dad. And I love that you wrote that and that people could see that because I think for this film, it, it kind of would I be right in thinking that it almost evokes a sense of closure that maybe you never got? Is that kind of like the vibe in a way? 
I think so. I think I'm starting to like forgive him as hard as that sounds or like as intense as that sounds, I should actually say. Like, I think it was easier for me to understand why he did what he did when I had to put my mindset in like how he was thinking. I I feel for you in that in that like I, I don't I can only like imagine and arguably like wax poetic about what that would feel like, but I think what's really um heavy in terms of just like, you know, the the journey of that is how there's so many instances in life where you have to like remove yourself of the context of things. But when you have to do that in the context of like family, it's really tough because it, it feels unfair by the very nature of that. But to get to that reconciliation and be able to see your family member as a person first, it's it is weirdly tough. Like, um, I went through nothing similar to you, but I, I did have like a rough time with uh, my own family as a teenager and in my 20s. And the big turning point for me was starting to see my parents as people before par- seeing them as parents. But there's no no one can really teach you how to do it, can they? It's like the, one of the weirdest things in the world. Yeah, I think every single person has that moment where they look at their parents and they're like, oh, like you aren't a superhero. You are a person. And either that realization will be like shattering and like really ruin a person's perspective or that realization will really help that person become who they're supposed to become too. Um, there's definitely, you know, examples of like where, where we see that happen with kids and like it, it really just ruins their perception on people so yeah i think we're both lucky that it helped us become better people no yeah exactly and like you know i have to say like when i watched the film i took it in and then i saw this post recently like on your twitter i couldn't help but think to myself like like do you feel like you remember when you realized that this was a story that you did want to tell because most people refer I think most people would prefer to shy away from their own story, in a sense, like a story like this. And I think it's really telling that you felt comfortable enough to like, share it in the world, even in like a, an obscure way. Mm, that's a really good question, actually. I think it was really hard for me to tell anything personal for a long time, like when I first started making films, because... uh Obviously, like for the Asian cultural aspects, too, it's kind of like losing face to be admitting all the problems in your family and all this stuff. But I think that the thing that kind of got me to do it was I needed it was like an itch, kind of like the son in the film. Like I needed to understand my father for who he was. And I felt like the only way I could do it is to put myself through that kind of simulation. So that's kind of like why what drew me to make the film. That's beautiful. And like what you mentioned there at the top, I remember a couple years ago, I read an interview that um, Lulu Wang, who did uh, The Farewell, um, she was in this interview and she talked about like how she had people, not just in her family, but like in her community that she grew up around, were upset that she even wrote the film because they very much felt that the, the dynamics of the family that were being conveyed was was something that was so specific to the culture that sharing it outwardly was almost considered as an offense. In a way. Yeah, that's like really big in Chinese culture. Like in most Asian cultures, you want to appear unburdened and like almost like you're always doing well because it's also just a sign of respect for like your parents and other people. So for Lulu Wang to have written The Farewell, like that was like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. That, what did you think of that film? I loved it. I think that she's actually like one of my biggest inspirations. And like, I think she's so funny and like really captured like what it is being like a a different generation kid, like caught between two cultures. I think that it's the first of its kind and it was really great. What did you think? I I really loved it too. And like, it was, I, I felt like she, she hit the sweet spot that I think must be very difficult where She's conveying her her culture, which is a culture that is like, uh, I mean, God, it's it's the first word that came to my head was niche, and then immediately I thought to myself like, that's the most American bullshit thing to say when we're talking about billions of people on the fucking planet to call a fucking significant culture niche. But like, a, she did a beautiful job to me of conveying a culture that I'm not a part of, allowing me to like, enter the door through it. 
and not necessarily feel like I was like um, an interloper or an outsider. And it's, I wouldn't even know how to describe how she did that, but there, there's like something significant to that, I think. I think it's like finding the human in that. It's the same way, like when we watch Moonlight, like you don't have to be black to understand, you don't have to be black, gay, you know, any of that to understand what it's like to struggle like that, to be in love with someone like that. You know, there obviously there's an added layer if you are black, if you are gay, you know, it's even more important and like true to home. But I think that's that's what she did too. Like everyone understands what it's like to like love your grandma. And to have to like keep up a lie or facades for them, you know, and that's like really, I think, the genius in that film. Yeah, I'd agree, and it's interesting to hear that she's an inspiration for to you in that regard, because there are things that I saw within this old dog that kind of shows that to me, and I think a big one is like the way you're able to convey both intimacy and nuance with the characters, and obviously it's like a big thing in the context of directing, but there's this very big level of um, trust that happens with the actors. And, you know, something else I thought of when I was like watching it and afterwards, it's like, you know, it's one thing to write something on a bit of paper or like digitally on a phone or a computer, but it's another thing to like present it to actors and tell them to like project it outward. And I wonder what was like that experience like for you, not just working on this, but like seeing the script come to life in that way. So my dear dear friend from uh high school sean paul he actually wrote the story oh yeah basically like originally it was it was a little different he had written this really beautiful short story called this old dog where the whole encounter happens outside a gas station and his son drives up i mean his dad drives up to the same gas station and like the encounter kind of happens right there and then his father drives away and i remember reading that it just, it just brought me to tears and i was like hey like this is crazy but can you write me a version of the script that's basically everything you've written here but can you set it here and here like change these things about it and then we just talked about it he's he's super collaborative and just understanding of like my situation so it's helpful having an outside party kind of like listen to like my feelings about my father and really like separate the two he's helped me a lot for sure sean's amazing oh that's sick and god man like all of you hit it off the park i mean even you tim if you're still listening you you hit it off the park too like that Seriously, hats off to you on it. And like, I, I'm, I, I find myself saying this often when it comes to something I really like. I, I, I feel jealous of people who get to experience it for the first time. Like someone who's just like, oh, I don't know what this is. I'm gonna go look it up. I'm like, I'm genuinely jealous of those people. I mean, this just it blows my mind talking about this film for sure. Because just because like, honestly, for a long time, this film was a huge insecurity of mine. Because if you watch my music video work, it's like not like that film at all. And like. Uh, I made it a couple years ago, and like now with the knowledge I have, uh, I think I would do a lot of things differently. So, I don't know. It really like it means a lot hearing that I did okay on it. Like, <laughs> no, you did really well. And in regards to that, right, like what you just brought up specifically, it's like, like from a technical standpoint, and I'm I'm saying this as just someone who takes in like a lot of like film and TV. It's like. I could tell potentially like maybe they have a lot to work with like logistically but in a way I think that enriches the story which is like I think what's really fascinating it's kind of something that comes up on this podcast a bit when I talk to musicians it's like how about you could have a song that has all like the bells and whistles but a lot of musicians feel like if you can't play it and sing it on acoustic guitar play it sing on a piano then it doesn't work and I feel like your film's an example of that as well where it's like if you just have people talking and going from like room to room or place to place and like having very frank conversations and you can get the emotion across, there's a really, there's something very significant in that. You know, it's really interesting hearing that whole analogy with playing it on the guitar because I view this old dog like uh, almost like a sketch. Because now, obviously, my that relationship with like, my dad is like still fucked for sure. Like, I mean, nothing's changed. I've just grown up a little bit more and understand a little bit more what it is like to be a parent. Because I have two cats. That was a joke. But look at him. Oh, uh, look at him. My dog is in the other room. She is like, sometimes she comes on the couch and she'll join me for a podcast, and other times she's just like, I don't want to be anywhere near you. Yeah, same with my cats. They're they're, they're being sleepy right now but usually they're like always meowing and going crazy so <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely gonna keep this in I, I heard people like pet content so i guess that's <laughs> same story. 
so funny. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I'm actually the new short film I'm trying to get off the ground right now, and the feature film that I've been developing for the past year. Like, they're both about the same thing, like similar subjects. You know, dad, not in the life, like how that affects the main character. Yeah, that's really sick, and I'm so like ecstatic to know that you're working on a feature and before i like try to like pry some information from you about that you did bring up your music videos and i want to talk about that and this is what's great about podcasting because now i get to ask you about a pro like projects that are essentially drastically opposite as this old dog and um i think the first one i want to start with and this is so different in terms of tone um is uh the video for games by tessa violet featuring lovely the band Within that video, you have Tessa and Lovely recreating the famous baseball scene from Twilight, and it's done in a way that pays homage while still being its own thing. Um, I met Tessa a few years back when she was touring with this artist named Dodie, and I just, like, when I have experiences like that and I get to see what someone does in a video, I love being able to, like, combine what I know of that person and what's being presented. So I feel like you did a really good job at, like, capturing her sensibilities and how she's like um i would love to hear about what surprised you the most about how this video came together because it must have been so trippy making something that kind of mirrors something that already exists but also making it different i mean honestly basically the story is really funny um tessa actually came up with the idea of having it be the twilight recreation and i brought we're, we're like i don't remember how the order went but like me and my best friend michelle co-directed this together as an absolute unit because Rochelle is the you know ultimate Twilight expert uh, in the whole entire universe and uh yeah when we were talking to Tessa who is the nicest person ever uh we were like you have to go all in you got to do the kick you got to like you got to be in it you got to do it and <laughs> she was just game she like literally sent us videos of her practicing the, the Alice kick and like all this stuff it's like She's awesome. She's really just like, she's so fun to work with and she's super creative and also just like super funny and cool. So it's really, really fun. Yeah. Do you want to know something that's really wild? I only watched those films for the first time uh, during the pandemic, like during like the first couple of months of lockdown. And like I watched them like day after day and that was a really wild experience. I mean, they age like fine wine, you know, like they, they play out even better than they did in the past. <laughs> they definitely did, especially that last one. Like for, for people who have never seen the Twilight films, I'm going to like give us a, a big spoiler. Not really, I don't think. But like in the rest of the last one, it's basically an X-Men film, which is really insane. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy when you sit down and actually think about like the story and like how it, all of it even plays out in the action sequences. You're just kind of like, what's going on? But you're also just like in it. You're just like, all right, I'm here. I, I brought this sentence up to my girlfriend a couple of days ago and it like made her stop and laugh on the street. So I'll say it to you. Dude, that movie has Remy Malik shooting lightning out of his hands. Yeah, like, I, I don't know who the fuck it is ever raised. Like, that is like, that's genius, you know? That's a cultural revolution right there. That is culture, yeah. That that's culture, <laughs> right there. That that's a perfect way to sum up Twilight. Like, if you yes. haven't seen it, just Rami Malek. There's someone who's that. like, wait, I thought they just sparkled. So no, motherfucker, they shoot lightning out of their hands too, yo. Yeah, they got this like crazy. Justin, Justin, um, what's his name? Uh, the Asian guy. He's Justin a... Lin. No, 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 no. Is uh the Asian guy who's a director is in that film. Oh, is that not Justin Lin? Fuck. I did, is there another Asian Justin? That's Hold on. What a wild got, sentence. We have IMDb break. We're going to IMDb. I got to check this out. Yeah, Justin Chan. He's in Twilight. Oh, shit. He's the, he's the, the only other Asian, the only Asian person in the whole entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, that was such an iconic film man like all these like legends were in it it's so crazy yeah. and, and I, I we should say like since this video you've gone on to direct like so many other music videos like write a list of things to look forward to by courtney barnett ps5 with salam which i gotta say i've become wildly obsessed with both that video and song and as right before i was talking to you i was like texting some friends of mine that video because it's just like such a 
the way you are able to like flow the 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 visuals with the lyrics is like really trippy to me for that song. I really once again I am super appreciative of that. <laughs> that video, uh, the behind the scenes of that was just it was crazy because like Salem is like super super nice to work with. By the way, she's like actually like the sweetest person ever and really really nice. Um, Courtney too. Courtney Barnett's also just like really game and really really fun to work with. But yeah, the behind the scenes for PS5 was crazy. Uh, I'm not sure like how much I can actually get into because of like NDEs and shit. But like, I'll just say this: like, we couldn't do what was originally pitched uh, because how do I phrase this? We couldn't do what was originally pitched, but they were really game to make the video what it was with the animation and like different graphics and stuff like that so i'm super grateful for that and it's not on our team it's not that we couldn't do it in terms of like we we messed up but just like certain logistical elements weren't able to happen from the original treatment because of other people's schedules so yeah 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 it should be noted that like the crazy thing about just like i think this is like unique to video production a very profound way where like almost everyone from like producers to like you know executive producers production heads and like directors it's like you form these ideas and you have a pretty good gauge from your experience about what's applicable what's not and then when you go to film it's like the world just throws all these curveballs that you can never predict like yeah i think that's the biggest thing that like music videos have taught me for sure is that i don't know it's almost like directing on x games mode because you have to be able to figure out solutions on the fly like in really yeah and just like you just never know every single time it's so different so for better or for worse <laughs> yeah would i be right in thinking that video the ps5 one was like storyboarded as well because it has that vibe to it that actually is a big compliment because it was not it really was not. yeah uh oh, we wow. did i mean we 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 shot listed like for sure justin the dp and i like were really like uh tight on that process but yeah a lot of it uh, once again, we shot the video and it was supposed to kind of be like a different energy and then some things didn't work out. So a lot of that, I basically had to like rewrite the video in a way. So like all like the video game graphics, all that stuff, like it was like a revision, like how I could take what we already shot and like make it cohesive, which was like a very different thing than I've ever done before. Yeah. You know, I have to say, I generally hate in every form of context, right? I generally hate bringing up numbers, but as we're talking about this video, it should be noted, like what's it like having a music video that you made that you know has been seen by over 1 million people it's so weird before you brought up that question i guess i didn't think about it oh shit <laughs> that's so funny i guess like I, I i don't dang that's that's a good question um i guess it is kind of intuitive when you mentioned that i kind of got a little nervous i was like oh shoot i guess a lot of people have seen that video it's it's just funny i guess like before you brought that up i i i don't know i'd never like i never like after I finish the video, I tend to not check the YouTube page. Because <laughs> I, yeah. I, I did it right before talking to you. My bad. No, no, no. It's just funny because, like, I like, sometimes will, I'll be out with my friends and, like, you know, sometimes they play, like, the music videos on those, like, weird little TV screens or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, I remember one time, like, my video for, like, Write a List uh, by Corny was, like, on the screen. And then that, we were, like, watching that video. And, like, I, like, had forgotten that I directed that. Like, I don't know why I like was like, oh, I was like watching the music video and I wasn't really thinking. My friends were like, didn't you make that video? And I was like, oh yeah, I did. Like, I don't know. You kind of like, <laughs> you have to like separate yourself sometimes because I just like feel anxious. <laughs> no, like when you reacted to that question initially, it kind of made me immediately think of uh, Dunbar's number. Uh, are you familiar with that? Um, mm -mm. That Yeah, it's a theory that a lot of um, psychiatrists um, apply to us as humans. And it's just a theory, but considering how we live in life, it's considered to be like really close to a fact. But Dunbar's uh, theory is that a human being only has the capacity to know the names and intricacies of about 150 people. And it ties to like the whole back in the days of like hunter-gatherers, because that's the amount of people you probably would have interacted with over the course of a lifetime. So that, wow. yeah, so the idea is that once that number goes beyond 150, 
it's almost like a human brain wouldn't know how to wrap its head around. So to present you with a number like over a million, it's kind of goes into like the aspect of that theory where it's like, how do you even fathom a number like that? Yeah, I I think like when you said that, I was like, oh, shit, like that makes sense. Like, of course, like, you know, it was a pretty it was a huge song. Like, but I guess, yeah, I, I never sat and thought about like how like how other people watching it would perceive it, which is really interesting. You know what? Like. If I consider the times in my life that I've worked with directors, what you, the sentiment you echoed about forgetting uh, for a moment about the Courtney video, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I think this is like really important to bring up is that I don't think I've ever met a director in my life that wasn't pitching for work while also working on work at the same time. And I feel like it creates this very staggered existence where you are putting so much of yourself in a project and, you know, doing things to your best of your ability, but you're forced to really think like two, three, six months down the line in real time. And mm. that's, that's fucking crazy, really. I think it's really hard for me to, I like everything I make, I like put a, a huge part of myself into like my heart and like any music video that you, you watch that I've made, like there's a part of me in it for sure. Like it's a personal experience where like I related to the song to this extent. It's from this memory. And so for that reason, like I, I feel like it's super enjoyable to make what I make, but also for that reason, it's like hard for me to like watch the things that I make because I'm like, oh man, like you know, you just you just get in your head about it and and it kind of like ruins the experience when you when you watch it on the YouTube page because you start thinking about all the things you could have done differently. So that's kind of like where it comes from for me, where I like I try to not look at the comments or like you know, look at the video because I get kind of anxious about yeah. it. Yeah, well, I'm not going to lie. What, what you said there at the top is something I kind of hoped you would say in regards to how you see yourself in some of the music videos that you make because I am really curious to hear you uh, add further context with that in mind to um, Life of the Party <laughs> with Sophia Mills. Oh, man. <laughs> That is, I love all your videos, but that's the one that I really fucking thought was badass, especially because it's just like, I mean, I, I was watching it and as it was progressing, I was like, what the hell was the pre-production for this? Like, because I'll just say the way of like what's happening with the blood, there's almost like this dance to it. Mm, that's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, you you got it. It was definitely a... Uh... Hats off to my whole entire team on that one. They they really made that one happen because like when you work with blood and stuff like that, it's just like there's so many intricacies in the sense that like we had several different dresses, uh, you know, because like it would make more sense for us to shoot certain scenes and like already have that on blood and like different levels of bloodiness that she had to be throughout the shoot. So it was like, yeah, all that stuff. Like I had an incredible team to, to really pull it together. But Funny enough, uh, Sophia actually had that concept in mind. Oh, wow. Initially, she came to me and she kind of like wrote her own version of like a treatment, like a one pager. And she was like, she really liked this idea of her at a party and the symbolization of her boyfriend having like a savior complex, basically, and trying to save her with the blood. And so with that, like, basically, I ran with that concept and like I really wrote out like what I saw visually with that in mind. And yeah, a, a huge part of myself in that too. When, when she told me that, I was like, oh, I totally know what that's like. We've all, I don't want to say we've all, but like some of us have dated people who had a knack for, for saving someone, you know, and it's not, you always feel like a fatal character. You feel like you're, you're there's something wrong with you, you know? Wow. It, that is really fascinating to hear you say that because one of the big things I was curious about with that video and like, uh, this is the part where I say, if you haven't seen Life of the Party by Sophia Mills, go see it so you know what the fuck I'm about to talk about. But, uh, <laughs> it's a short video. It's a short yeah, video. it's a short video. But at the very end, what's... I, I, like, it's... This is nice to have you on to ask, but what's happening at the very end when the guy gives Sophia... Like, what's the look that he's giving before she walks away? So, basically, the end, like, when she's bleeding out of her stomach essentially and then he's holding a knife and he's like playing with the the knife in his hand in the video and that whole scene's supposed to symbolize like this whole entire time like he's been trying to be like almost like the knight in shining armor saving her when in reality like he's hurting her by doing this even more and it's even more cruel that he thinks that he can like save her it's actually killing her uh. 
And so like in the very end when she's bleeding and she's like looking at him, he has like his true colors are showing. Like he gives that menacing face because that's like in reality how he actually is. And it was important for us to find someone who was very beautiful and and could like really pull off both sides of that. The innocence, almost like a Lucifer like character, but also on the end of it, he was he was Lucifer. Yeah. Wow. I had, you know what, like this hasn't happened often in my life and it's a testament to just like how our like, you know, Western patriarchal society is. But this kind of reminds me of what the I've heard they try to evoke on that show you with um, the character Joe. And I realized now in the context of this music video, I think I had a, a subconscious reaction of innately trusting the handsome guy for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, that was totally our intention. In the very beginning, we wanted you to believe that he was a nice guy. Yeah. Because, like, especially with Jack, too, who in reality actually is a very, very nice guy. But he has, like, this look about him where he looks very, almost, like, heavenly and, like, pure, you know? And then when you see his true colors, and that's also why, like, Scott, the way that he lit him throughout the video with, like, the, the daylight and the darkness, he was, we were just, like, a painting with images. That's fucking incredible. Like, hats off to you and the team for figuring that out. And, um, you know, something that I was something else that I was very keen to talk to you about in relation to what you do. And, you know, honestly, just like work in general, I think we, we've been doing this a bit on this talk, and I'm really happy about it, signifying the ways that directing and working in um, film and music videos, it differs a lot from other uh, fields. And I think the reason why it's important is that I think from the outside, there's so many ways that directing seems um, attractive and interesting to people, but also very vague. And um, I think something that's very perplexing that I find when we exist in this, in this area where we have like these creative jobs, by virtue of building a career, you have to ha be on all the time and in this kind of perpetual form of motion. And yeah, yeah exactly. And something I've been thinking about a lot is how we all start out. I started doing photography when I was um, 18. And I remember at the start of it, I had this very vague idea where I was like, I, I want this thing to be my life. And something I didn't realize is that it did. And it took, I think I only realized it became my life, I want to say like three or five years after that it did. And with that in mind, I wonder if you ever had that realization yet that directing is your life. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I always tell this story whenever people ask this, but I was very resistant to wanting to be a director at first because in my head, a director was an egomaniac, uh, somebody that was controlling. And you always see like pictures of men sitting in the, the, the little director chair with the fucking whatever <laughs> the horn thing. And I just like looked at myself like I'm this like what five two Asian girl like in no reality is someone like me ever going to get to do that. And then so I you know I pursued things up like acting. I tried DPing. I was awful at it. I tried ACing. I tried grip. I tried everything. I, I really wanted to be. I actually thought I was going to be a writer, and I'm horrible at writing because of like what society deemed what a director was. It just turned me off so much. And once again, going back to that professor, he like pushed me to actually see what I loved in making films. And that was asking questions and working with actors and like story. And unfortunately that's just what a director does. Those are all the things. And so, yeah, I, I like fell into that and, and realized that that was the thing for me. But I think on top of that, I think the thing that really amplified it is, I think I'm a person that I have done a lot of things in my life that I regret. I was like unredeemable to many, I think, growing up because I was so angry. I was angry about my family situation. I was angry about how I looked. And I like that in filmmaking, you can be, you, you could have gone to jail. You could have done anything and you're redeemable in many ways. Obviously, I'm not saying if you're a pedophile, I'm not like, this is not fancy <laughs> or like Woody Allen or whatever. But like, that was the thing I loved the most about filmmaking. Everybody kind of had like a blotchy past. And or if you didn't, it just doesn't matter because it's about what you're making together with this group of people and they become your family no matter what. And that's like really powerful to me because that's something that I think I never really had growing up. Yeah, it ties back to what we're talking about, even in reference to like when I wrote Lulu Lang and you brought up your upbringing in reference to like, you know, 
the element of the farewell and what you understood from that. I think it kind of contrasts with that because it's almost like existing from starting out from a space where you're taught that mistakes aren't welcome here. And then just by virtue of being a human, you are going to make mistakes. And I think I see that in film too, as just like someone who enjoys film to watch and seeing people's stories. It's that like, you want to believe that, I think people say this, but it's like, you really do need to believe it, that nobody is their worst day. Like there's more to a person, just the worst day of their life. A hundred percent. And I think that in no other art form, the thing I love the most about directing is that your job is almost just like making sure that everybody's there at the right place, right time, and making sure that your vision's executed. You're the protector of a dream, of a vision. And that's like the loveliest part because everyone else is actually the ones that are helping you paint it and make it happen. But your job is to make sure that everybody is on track and making the same vision and dream. And I think in no other art form is there someone who's almost like that guardian in that sense. Because everything else is kind of self-imposed. Like if you're a dancer, you're, of course, you have teachers, or if you're a musician, you have teachers, but you're in control of your own anatomy, anatomy, you know, and like and all that stuff. But as a director, you're not in control of anybody else. In fact, their visions and their mindsets really helps you make it better. And that's like what's really interesting to me about that art form. And I think same thing with viewers. When 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 a director makes a shitty film and audience members are like, that was trash, or that was just like you fucking sucking your own dick for like two hours. A director takes that feedback and they're like, oh shit. Like <laughs> they either make a film about the, their film being awful or they they take that feedback and they come back with a better picture. And that's like really interesting to me. Yeah. You know, in reference to what you just said, I forget his name. Um, I'm not gonna IMDB it. Someone else could do that. We've done enough of that. Someone can do it who's <laughs> listening. But the guy who directed uh Morbius, I remember shortly after it came out. I haven't seen it, but I feel like considering what the reception was in terms of how it was advertised, I think I think I made the right call. But the direct, it, you know, it was received negatively, but the director came out like I think a week or two after the film came out and pretty much owned up to the reception of the film. Like he didn't necessarily go out of his way to say it was a bad film, but he was say he said to the extent, I'm paraphrasing that like the flaws that people have called out are things he also agrees with, which I thought was really big because no one's going to ask him to do that. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like another thing, too, that I, I guess I didn't realize, like when I initially started filmmaking is that there's so much money involved in, in the sense that like so many people obviously have to pay all those people so many mouths to feed. Things cost money, like materials cost money, cameras cost money. And with all that money at play, of course, there's going to be producers that want to make sure that everything's executed to their vision as well. There's so many cooks in the kitchen, like making a good film is the hardest thing in the whole entire universe because like to make a good film you have to make sure that everybody every cook in the kitchen is a good cook and unfortunately that's just not possible yeah and all that you know it, it sounds like an ugly word but it really is the only word that's applicable but in those instances other people also become a form of resistance and what you were saying about a director kind of safeguarding a vision you have to perpetually safeguard it from this resistance every day right I mean, it's like, I always think going back to our conversation about parents, like, I think that's another thing that helped me understand my parents even more is like, your parents could tell you, don't touch the flame on the stove. They could tell you a million times, they could stand over you and watch you and make and, and pull your hand away from the flame. But they're not going to do that 24 hours every single day of your life. They can't do that. So maybe one day you go to the kitchen and you just really want to touch the stove. You just want to touch the fucking fire and you're going to burn yourself. But that's just like, as a parent, like you've done the best that you can. And I think that oftentimes directors are in that position where they'll try their best to be that parent that can really make sure the child can like grow into a, a good person, but it's, it's hard. Things can go wrong. In fact, more things go wrong than right. Oftentimes. Yeah, no, it, it's, it goes back to also what we're saying. It's just like, God, when you think about the time, the money, like the amount of like personal and mental investment you, you have to make in a project that how can it not? You know, how can things yeah. not go wrong? I mean, that's also why I think that obviously, like, I, I think some of the best photographers end up being really incredible, like cinematographers and directors, because I think that when you master kind of like you and your camera and also like working with that team, like on that intimate level, on a bigger scale, your vision can be even stronger in that sense with motion, you know? Really? You, you feel that way? 
I do feel that way. I think you should try. You should try it. Motion. I should. I, you know, I, I think it might have come up once or twice, but I'm like petrified of like getting into film. But just like not even filmmaking, but like working with like video. But it's something that has been intriguing my mind more time has gone on. You can't know unless you try, right? That is a really good point. You, you know, one of my favorite things, I think the favorite thing I have of this talk is that it's so it's been so trippy having lived with your work in regards to the short film and the music videos. And from getting to know you and talking to you, I feel like I'm noticing little like sensibilities that are in your work. And it's like, it's just really cool. Really? <laughs> I don't know anything specific. I need to like sit with that thought more. But it's just like, I feel like I could think back to a music video of yours and think like, oh, it makes sense that she made this. That's really, really sweet. Um, yeah, I think some people, they make things just to try cool things. And unfortunately, I don't have the talent to just be able to like spit something out. Like I have to connect to it and like I have to care about it, uh, you know, better or worse to die on that sword or not. But that's just like how things are. So it means a lot when people can see like me in the stuff that I make. No, man, I think it's definitely for the better. And like that care shows. Uh, Christina, thank you. Like, seriously, thank you so much. Dude, thank you. Are you kidding me? This has been a very informative chat, like, in terms of, I, I didn't realize, man, I have that level of, like, dis disconnect in terms of, like, I got to look at the YouTube page and read what's up. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, do, I, I didn't read the comments, so if you go in the comments section and feeling, like, overwhelmed by it, that, that wasn't on me. I didn't tell you to go to the comments section. <laughs> the artist must suffer and sign up for it, so... Thank you so much for checking this out. Be sure to subscribe to The New Exchange via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you stream podcasts. Until next time, thank you for listening.